I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Mackenzie Kim. Mackenzie Kim is a 27-year-old mother, fourth-year medical student, and future family medicine physician. In the intervening three years since her initial interview, the first ever On Death episode, she dove headfirst into a relationship, married her partner, and birthed a beautiful, wonderful son. During this emotionally vulnerable conversation, we discuss her lessons from the deaths of family members, what she has learned from a few months of motherhood, and how she imagines a wonderful reunion with loved ones after death. Before we talk more about Mackenzie and this really great re-interview, um, I want to talk about my long-form Sundays posts. These are my weekly reflections on medical school from the very first anatomy lab of first-year medical school to now, after I matched and uh, just kind of cruising into the uh, residency period. And so you can find all of these reflections over at eugenehkim. That's just Eugene with the little h at the end, dot kim. I swear it's a website. You can also type in mnmwod.com. That's M-N-M-W-O-D. Both will lead you to the same place. And there, you'll be able to find all these weekly reflections as well as all of the interviews for the podcast on death. And so on March 31st, 2019, I published On Uneventful Week Off, or epilogue slash match a post-mortem. This week, I reflected on an eventful Monday evening after securing a home for residency. A phone call while making some eggs for dinner reminds me of my future profession and why I want to be a psychiatrist. Then, more recently, on April 7th, 2019, I published On a Sick Week or the Beginning of Inpatient Neurology. This week, I reflect on a week of sickness and continued life responsibilities while beginning my inpatient neurology rotation. Life doesn't slow down for me, despite this final clinical month of medical school. I feel like this is a peek into the coming years as Junsu develops and my clinical practice begins. So again, just check those out at mnmwa.com or eugenehkim. You can find a collected paperback version available on Amazon if you just type in physician education. It's under the title of On the Education of a Physician. So back to Mackenzie. Mackenzie is a student and becoming. Before Mackenzie dies, she wants to affect positive change, to see her children grow up and leave the house, to physically see more parts of the world, to continue learning and growing, and to foster greater connections and deeper relationships. When Mackenzie dies, she wants a moment to accept what's happening. After Mackenzie dies, she wants those she loves to have a level of comfort in their lives humanity to get their shit together and to join that collective finally in conclusion mackenzie says life is an incredible opportunity just enjoy it enjoy that opportunity take it and don't squander it love as much as you can learn as much as you can do as much as you can so this is a really wonderful i think the difference between the very first interview so that i that was published back in uh january 2016 i believe let me just type that up and double check myself as i talk to you so it was about three years from the first interview very first interview i ever done uh with mackenzie back when she was mackenzie frost and uh it was a very rough i still the same general outline we used the four prompts but we're still we were mackenzie and i were in this place where we were like just started dating we didn't want to put labels on it we weren't sure if this was going to be a thing that's going to go forward 
and so it was a very you know we were kind of like playing it by ear and i think the conversation itself was was great it was just a very strong reflection of where we were at our in our lives at that point me interviewing her 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 then boyfriend boy to whatever you want to call it um and then you flash forward three years later and and oh yeah it was 2016 of february february 2016 is when we did that first first interview and um flash forward just over three years later uh we are married now we're living together you can hear you might be able to hear june like squealing with joy in the background uh while i record this um and we have a pooch together named honey and uh life is making a wacky wacky turn that we hadn't could not have imagined when we sat down for that first interview uh three years ago and uh, we have another four years together for residency, and who knows where we're going to go after that together. And it's just a wacky thing just to see this trajectory that you couldn't have ever predicted uh, when we sat down together for in 2016. And uh, it's just really great. I think there's been a lot of growth uh, just from the clinical side, from going through, when we when we did the interview, it was sec we're second-year medical students, uh, a lot of time in the books, but not a lot of time in front of people, uh, like really hearing stories, seeing seeing people uh, as they're really sick or dying um, and that's what happens third year and also during fourth year and um, I think that that growth and those experiences are really reflected in in her responses this time around and uh, it's, it was a really great conversation she has she opens up a lot and um, from my perspective even as an interviewer listening to the first interview was painful they were just so it was i was so new at this i was so fig figuring it out that was almost exactly 100 episodes ago and um how much i've learned as an interviewer since then and even now listening to this most recent one with Mackenzie, um i hear ways that i can still improve as an interviewer there's a so just so so you as the listener know the way that Mackenzie and I did this was that we sat down together. Uh, we had June with us. He was, I think, about two months old, and we were at the uh, we were towards the tail end of our maternity paternity leave. So we were all we were doing was just hanging out with this new baby, hanging out at home with our dog, just the two of us. Sometimes people would kind of stop in, but we were really in this bubble of like we are going to figure out how to be parents now. And so uh, you hear June throughout the whole interview. He's kind of, you know, bouncing or grunting a little bit as we bounce him. And you hear Honey snoring in the background. And um, it's just a very real reflection of what it's like to be new parents. Um, and so we interviewed each other. So what, the way we structured it was that um, so I asked her, I am. And then she, we kind of gave each other the double thumbs. And then she turned around and then interviewed me for I am. And then she interviewed me for the following prompt of before I die, I want. And then after that, uh, we flipped it back and I interviewed her for before I die, I want. And then I interviewed her for when I die, I want. And we kind of bounced back and forth, each doing kind of two in a row to get a little rhythm going. And so uh, if you hear kind of like wacky pauses in there or just like, uh, think it's, it's, you know, but the baby went from really quiet to really loud. I mean, that's what babies do. Uh, but that's that sort of lies. There are some cuts in there. And it was, that's, you know, allow, to allow us to sort of keep, move through together the four prompts uh, rather than, uh, you know, I interview her all the way through and she interviews me all the way through. I think this is a much that, that worked. Um, it worked very well for us. And so um, at one point at the end of her, I am. Uh, you'll hear it. she she opens up and I, I 
wish that I had dug more into it because it was this wonderful window of emotional vulnerability. And, uh, you know, we were bouncing this baby and I think we needed a break and we needed to figure out how to like pivot to switch things. And so it was, uh, you know, I'm still learning. And this was very much a snapshot. I think that uh, when we uh, do another re-interview and who knows how much time, it will be very interesting because June will be a little bit older. Maybe he'll be talking and uh, be able to participate a little bit, or just be a little bit of a more of a, even more of a distraction during that interview. So it's going to be a really wacky thing to hear. And um, yeah, so if, you know, if you hear the baby crying during this this coming interview, I, I apologize. Um, but also, that's just how that's the only way we could have done it. And uh, if you hear the dog snoring, that's exactly how we had to do it. So. Um, if you uh, want to hear that first interview with Mackenzie, you can bump ahead about an hour, um, like almost exactly an hour from this point, and you can find that first interview. Uh, you can listen to that, and then you can jump back here um, about uh, nine minutes in and uh, start again to listen to the real thing, with, uh, to the second part, the three years later part with Mackenzie. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. She is, you know, I picked her she's she's my person so of course i think that her responses are beautiful and in her her beautiful soul shines through this conversation and i think you as the listener it's just a wacky thing just to hear how much life has happened in between and just to sort of see how different the conversation is both from an interviewing standpoint and from uh from her as a uh human being going through life just three solar cycles uh how much that changes her and so uh I hope you're ready for this. I hope you got some tea ready. I got some tea going. It's a nice uh, rainy day here in Coopersburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, the the trees are budding. The maples are nice and red, and I see shrubs all over the place putting out new growth. And so I hope that you're uh, just, you know, observing the season changes us because uh, it's a wacky thing to be on this planet. So um, I hope that you are very excited to hear Mackenzie Kim once again on death. It is January 25th, 2019. We're sitting here in my Coopersburg home with Mackenzie Frost. Oh, Mackenzie Kim. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> Mackenzie Kim, Jusu Kim. Oh, he's so mad. And Honey in the background sleeping. You can probably hear her snoozing. Uh, and we're in our Coopersburg home, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Mackenzie, what are the four prompts? I am... Before I die, I want. When I die, I want. And after I die, I want. Great. Now, how do you finish that first prompt? I am. I. <laughs> I guess let me let me preface this. So I've been thinking about this, the, this interview since we've been talking about it for the past what four months probably. Something like that, yeah. And I keep thinking of things, and then. I stop thinking about it because we get just embroiled in life and I forget all these beautiful answers that I had. But so I'm gonna try to improvise this prompt. Give me a second. I am a student and I am becoming. And for both of those, I'm a student of many things and I'm becoming many things. So what are you a student of? I think first and foremost, life. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that 
is the primary school that I'm, I'm learning in. Um, but I'm also a student of medicine. Um, I think those are the two primary categories that I'm, I'm thinking of or holding my mind right now. So what have you learned from life most recently? Be adaptable. Mm -hmm. Be forgiving. Uh, and just find joy whenever you can. Oh, uh, how how did you learn? Like, what prompted this? <laughs> like, how did the, how did this come about? So. You can hear probably the reason why this came about. This came about just with the birth of Junsu. And uh, just the necessity for adaptability and for forgiveness. Um, and then just finding joy whenever it crops up. I think all of them are really key to early parenthood. Um, okay, so you're a student of life. And you're becoming many things. What? Oh, well, and there's also the student in medicine. Um, what is it like? Because when we did the first interview, uh, we were very early on in the medical in the medical thing. You know, I think this was like early, like middle of first year. Um, so now you're on the tail end of it, and towards the end of fourth year. Mm -hmm. What? Uh, what's it like on this side of the road? I think the really wonderful thing is that it it you can see and feel the growth that we've had in the interim. I think that, uh, I'll put words in your mouth too, it just feels, it feels so good to know so much more. And with that, to know that there's still so much more to, to learn. And I think that um, what one of the things that I've learned is that I will forever be learning as a student of medicine or as a physician, a doctor, and that's something that I look forward to. Um, and so I think, I think that that's, that's something uh, that I knew going in, but that has really been just kind of solidified with the past three-ish years. So you're going to keep learning? I'm going to keep learning. Life and medicine, both, <laughs> all the time. Okay. And um, so what are you becoming? I think always in the process of becoming a partner, a mother, a, a family member. Um, I'll throw a physician in there too. Uh, which one do you want to go into first? Um, uh, you can do them. I'll do them in order. I'm very, I'm kind of a chronological person, as you know. Mm -hmm. Um, so, becoming a partner, I think the past, oh, three years, we've had a lot of growth mm -hmm. necessitated, <laughs> and... I think we've both grown into our roles so much and I think that it's 
sometimes been a very challenging process, but it's always had this beautiful kind of outcome of just us being, being partners and figuring it out and, and uh, so I think it's been, it's been a lot of fun. How has, because uh, unlike you, I haven't had very many long-term relationships. Mm. And so we've spent three years together, that's like 10% of our life already, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, much, yeah. 10%. Yeah. And so uh, what has, like, I guess what makes, like, what, what how, comparison, comparing previous relationships to this one, like, how does that, like, partnership different? Like, what makes this a partnership for, you know what I mean? Like, what, what's a differentiating factor? I think... Other than a baby. That's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um... I think that there's a, a certain equality, like an understood equality between us. Mm -hmm. um, where in any relationship there's going to be give and take. Um, I think that our, our, as we say, yin and yang fits really well together. Mm -hmm. um, but I also feel like neither one of us has... <laughs> Eugene is setting up for the baby right now. He fell asleep finally, so... Finally. Moving around a little bit. I think that, that that level of equality, though, um, is something that really distinguishes this relationship. It's in addition to our openness, uh, our, our level of honesty and trust with one another. And so you're becoming a partner. Mm -hmm. And then I think the site was the next one, mother. Yeah. What's uh, what's going on there? <laughs> I think I guess by the definition of having uh, given birth, I am kind of automatically a mother. Um, but I think that I'm learning. I'm learning how to do it best, and kind of I guess the or better, not best. Um, it's one of the things that we've talked about is me pushing myself to, to allow myself to be uncomfortable. So with June, it's going to be, he's going to want to do silly, crazy things that make me extremely nervous or anxious and kind of allowing him to do those things. Um, or kind of, I, I think about my own life, uh, uh, some of the, the paths that I've taken that my parents knew were not necessarily the easiest paths or not, they felt that perhaps they weren't the paths I should be taking at the time, but letting me take them nevertheless, because that's important in a person's development is being able to be autonomous and take, make their own choices and, um, really gives you the opportunity to learn and form your own personhood. And so I think learning how to do that gracefully and 
in a way where June still feels very supported is is going to be a constantly changing endeavor. And that's a very uh, future orientation thing, right? Like that's mm -hmm. not like something, or are you doing that now? Like being uncomfortable? Like what are, like what, how, how does, how do you take that and apply that now? I think in like very, it's kind of silly, but very small ways. Uh, so when, Ju after June was born, you know, he had jaundice. And so we had to get his bilirubin checked and um, so we had to get heel sticks for that and have his blood drawn. And at one of the first appointments that we had, um, the I was breastfeeding June so that he'd be as calm as he could be. And the phlebotomist said, oh, you can't be breastfeeding because he might choke on the breast milk when I do the stick. And that stuck with me, and so just becoming more, just overcoming that little that little um, hurdle in my mind to being able to move around with him while breastfeeding. Another one would be just little bits of cold exposure for for him, um, being comfortable taking those walks outside and in the winter time um, here in Pennsylvania where it can get fairly chilly. Um, just being comfortable with those kinds of things has been as mother bear, somewhat challenging. And, um... <laughs> little sleeping barks. Um... There's a lot of aspects to motherhood. Uh, like... Like, last night when we were watching uh, Aquaman, and then you were like, Oh, of course she'll be sad. She's leaving her baby. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, she's also leaving the guy, the father of the baby too, right? Um, that I think it's just like little ways in which your whole perspective on like what's important to you has changed, right? Yeah, I think that's something... Um... <laughs> Suddenly, so very awake. Uh... I think that that was a realization I had um, earlier on after his birth was that my fate and June's fate is even more closely intertwined than our fates. If there were, if I were ever to lose you, I would always have June. Mm -hmm. And I had that realization and it just made me, I guess, kind of, I think that's been a very subtle change in, in my feelings towards him and um, even towards our relationship where kind of June for me is the constant. And that's especially in this baby phase where he... Uh... He really relies on me and I know that they're like very, very soon in terms of time he won't. Well, definitely be far more independent mm -hmm. and then there's also you know the, the joke the events we've been having about how he's your best friend right <laughs> it's like we know, spend a lot of time we together. spend a lot of time together but it's a very one-way you know communication street you know it's just what is that what's going on there i think a lot of it is we spend a lot of time together and i feel just a lot of 
I feel a lot of love for him. And Silly question, why? <laughs> I don't think you can explain why. I think it's, uh... It's just a very... I think to explain why, I have to kind of go into, like, back, just kind of digging back into after he was born and how incredibly emotional I was <laughs> for those first few days and first couple of weeks. Um, I was <laughs> crying my eyes out all the time and just feeling so many more emotions and to just a different depth and degree than I'd ever, ever thought possible. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, just that that level of emotionality and the rawness to it really, I guess, extends to the love that you feel for this this little tiny being that you have responsibility for. He's pretty cute too. That that definitely helps. It does. And it's uh, I guess like while you were talking, I was thinking of like a. Like, you know, like we were just watching The Punisher and then the Kingpin, what he does is he, he like brings people to these lows and then he takes advantage of them, you know? And like, in a way it's sort of like that with the baby where it's like, you're brought down by like all the hormonal changes, and like, you know, you're brought to such low and then you just have this little dude looking up at you and it's just like a very like impressionable time for him and for you, right? Like where it's just like, this is where you'll seal it and uh, through some sort of design, that's when the bonding happens, right? Mm -hmm. At least that's what it sounded like. Yeah, I, I think after he was born, I felt just so completely exhausted. I, I felt, I felt like awe and I felt love, but definitely not to the same degree that I felt as time has gone on, it just feels like it gets deeper and deeper and more and more. And, um, yeah, I think, I think definitely the, the, <laughs> the low helps, helps seal that. I think, I, I think that that's kind of true in any relationship, though. If you're able to go through those kinds of challenges, it just makes those relationships that much, that much stronger. Yeah, that's very true. I think that's true of our relationship. What else are you becoming? What was it? Was, uh, partner, family mother? member, and physician. Um, and for becoming a family member, I think of family in terms of our blood family. I think of family in terms of our friend family, and family in terms of the larger kind of global community. Um, and I think I'm I'm figuring out my new role as a mother and how to delegate my time in those realms. Because uh, like, like you said, and I've already acknowledged, June right now is my best friend. <laughs> and so being able to, to parse out pieces of myself to, to connect with others in that way, that very loving, compassionate, empathetic way is something I look forward to doing more so as time goes on. And, uh, I, I don't know, it sounds like, at least compared to that first, very, very first interview, um, that's something, like, a newer priority to you? Um, are there, is there a reason why that's a priority for you? Is it because of the mid-school ending, where you're sort of seeing endings and beginnings happening, or 
Um, is there is it like the whole motherhood has spurred this on? Like why? Uh, where's that coming from? Um, yeah, maybe I guess a degree of nostalgia, but also just getting as we get older and kind of the state of the world and being connected to people who are able to foster connectedness um, between others and and help promote others and their well-being, and that's really something that I've wanted to do for my whole life and at least for, for my professional life. So I think that um, it's something that when I, when I think back on what has in the past really affirmed my purpose and helped me to feel most me, it has been connecting with others and helping to helping others to better themselves or or helping others to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. And is that like a reward in and of itself? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the process, I think the connection, the relationship, um, I think all of it, all of it is definitely very rewarding. And then the next on that list is uh, becoming a physician. We kind of talked about it a little bit with in terms of what am I a student of and um, medicine, but I think that it's a, a career-long, a lifelong process, and um, it's something that that I've wanted to do for a very long time. And it's really, really nice to kind of be at the end of this medical school journey, and it's scary. The, match process um, or daunting but it's uh, very nice to be being close to having that MD after my name. It's two very heavy letters. <laughs> very heavy letters. Oh, he's pooping. Is he? He's pooping. Good. Just a little bit. Um, and then something we had talked about before um, was your, on the previous interview, was your uh, you're you're raised in the more in the like Church of Latter Day Saints, right? That's mm -hmm. the, that's yeah. You know, we call them Mormon, but it's within the Church, group, of. Yeah, Church of Latter Day Saints, uh, Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and uh, right. So, yeah. And so, uh, how has your spirituality has it changed over the last three and a half years? Has it uh, like what? Where do you see it going? My spirituality has changed in the past three and a half years, I think because of some of the experiences that I've had. Um, I feel a natural greater connectedness to the world at large and to, to others, both uh, who have long since passed and who are presently here. Um, so I think I have a greater degree of spirituality than, than I did during our first interview. Um, in terms of how I see that progressing, I think, um, I, I don't know if there's a formal outlet that I see it going through, um, but it's pretty early in terms of uh, where our family is and where we've landed <laughs> on spirituality, because I think that I think that religion has is kind of a double-edged sword where it has the prospect of being very valuable for young people or being damaging. And I think that in my experience, it, it was both. And um, 
And I think, <laughs> Get it out, June. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think that I just have developed a greater level of connectedness. Uh, what are, like, what does that, how does that affect you on a day-to-day basis? I think that some, it, 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 what well, the interesting thing about spirituality or faith is that sometimes you have to remind yourself of it in the day-to-day grind. Um, but I guess one of the little rituals that we've developed as a family is, uh, daily prayer. Um, and so just extending your consciousness to the people that you love and the people around you and the, the kind of world at large is one of the ways that we've been able to practice that kind of connectedness and that kind of spirituality. But I think in general, just a more, a heightened level of awareness of that connectedness, um, and just my interactions and, and, and my experiences throughout the day. And like, what what are some of those experiences or uh, that have uh, made your that has uh, helped harden or uh, made more resolute your 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 spirituality? Like, how does somebody get to that point of like, oh yeah, this is important to me? Um. I think for me, it has been, uh, I think that I've always had a base layer of spirituality um, and of of feelings of connectedness. I think that uh, a few things have happened. You kind of alluded to my uh, previous very long relationships. I think that having a huge paradigm shift where the world that you, the future world that you envisioned being kind of taken away from you and having your future taken away from you is, is one of those ways mm-hmm. that you can kind of have, develop a new sense of self and a new new way to see the world um, and, and understand spirituality. Um, before June was born, I, uh, I had pregnancy terminations and having um, made that decision was really hard. Especially knowing June now. But um, having that kind of black and white decision in front of you um, and coming out on the other side can definitely change your perspective. (laughs) Um, And I think that the other thing was um, honestly uh, just. Uh, the ayahuasca ceremony that I took part of that was something else that really helped me feel more connected and um, to myself and to to the universe at large and so you are uh, you are becoming 
are a student. Well, is there anything else on that list of things that you are or I am? Not that I can think of right now. How do you finish the next prompt before I die, I want? Before I die, I want to affect positive change. In what? Where? I think I'd love to ambiguous intentionally. I'd like to affect positive change in the world around me. Um, in the, the physical outside world, um, in addition to my, my home. Um, in terms of health and, and well-being, um, I'd like to affect positive change in the people that I interact with, so whether they're my my partner or my son or future children, um, and my peers and, and my patients, um, and that can be a very a physical thing or it can be a, a emotional, spiritual, psychological thing. And is it like a continuation of being a positive influence, or like, is there a point where you're like, I'm done, I've done enough positive stuff, or...? I don't think that there's ever a point, and it's not, it's not a measurable thing, I think, which makes it challenging to be satisfied with your, your, uh, results. But I think that, I think that that is just an underlying motivator for me. So, um, being physically involved with the outside world, um, outside of my home, and in that, I mean, literally out, outside. Um, like, uh, being able to be a part of that, that was something that when I was growing up, I think I did a lot better than I've done recently. Um, I think that getting the time and space to, to feel like I can do that again um, will be like really... Like what? Like how? Uh, like, like awareness kind of movements for environmental awareness um, and physical cleanups and being involved with groups that are actively doing things like that. Um, and then also just in the interaction with the outdoors. Like, it, moving up here, we... Well, and even in the first couple of years in medical school, had a garden and it was not well tended to just because I would I didn't devote the kind of time that I think that that space needed and it needs love and it needs it needs time and um, I didn't devote that and so I look forward to time when I'm able to do do that once again and um, kind of have that that influence and that that interaction with the outside world. Um, in terms of oh love love in terms of uh, people I think um, just uh, there there are a lot of different 
<laughs> a lot of different things that that looks like just depending on the relationship that you're talking about. Now, do you, I guess, like, uh, like, why do you think, well, like, in a, like, a broader sense, like, why do you think this is important to you to make the world a better place, to do, like, to leave a positive effect? Like, do you think the world is inherently, a, like, a, like, a negative place and the world needs more positive influences? Do you think it's just your job to do the positive stuff? I think... I think that I, I don't believe <laughs> he's trying to silence me. censorship. Um, I think that the world I see the world in shades of gray. I don't think that there's there were there are very few things that are purely evil um, or purely negative, and there are conversely very few things that are. Uh, just purely good, wonderful things. Um, so I think that there, and in all things, there's potential for for both. So I, I think less that it, the world is bad, and that I need to improve it. <laughs> I think more so that definitely it, this is the contribution that I need to make. Okay. So a big, you want to make, do good stuff in the world. Yes. Leave a small footprint. Or like small negative footprint, good yes. positive. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather do, I'd rather have more good things that I've done than negative things that I've done. Okay. And. Uh, what else is on my list? I think ideally, <laughs> I think ideally that I would, I'd like to see my children um, grow up and leave the house and I, it would be really nice to have time to, to, spend, to spend with you. I think things that I'd like um, before I die is to physically see more parts of the world and I think uh, before we had Junebug, it was definite, definitely a goal that I had, but I think that it it's in this whole new light of almost getting to experience places twice. Of I might be seeing someplace new for the first time, but there's also uh, this this little being that is experiencing it too, and kind of vicariously seeing what they experience from that and what their interpretation of that is and um, so I think being able to, to experience new things with, with our family will be really a fascinating fun thing that I'd like to do before I die. Do you know um I guess, where, where are some of those places that you want to go? Um, anywhere. <laughs> like Kansas? Like, uh, Even Kansas. Northern Maine? <laughs> like, where? 
Kansas, even north of Maine. Yeah, I think, um, I think anywhere. I think it'll just be really fascinating to see, to be able to both interact on my own level and then to see these little humans that were both, like, knowingly and unknowingly molding into their little, their little personhoods, seeing how they interact and what, what they see and get from these places. And experiences. Not, I guess not just necessarily places, but the experiences that you have that are really, really important, too. Mm-hmm. <gasps> are you listening? Are you listening to our talking? Yeah. And, uh... What level of, like, independence do you want to see from your children? Like, I guess the reason why I'm asking is because there's, like, this, like, this, like, this low-key codependence that happens. I see at least with a lot of, like, maternal figures. Like, where it's just like, oh, I want them to still be a baby, you know? Uh, and I want them to still need me. Um, like, how, like, what, what level of independence do you, would you really want to see from them? I think that's impossible to say right now. Especially when he is... At this juncture, with me breastfeeding, 100% dependent on me for life. Like, without exaggeration. Like, like if I were to die, yes, you'd be able to go and get formula or go to a milk bank and get milk. So, yes, I'm, I'm ultimately very replaceable, but, like, right now he is 100% dependent on me to make sure that he lives. And so, I think it's really impossible for me to speculate on how independent I'll want him. Like, I have no concept of how I can, I can easily say I want him to be completely independent. I want him to be his own human being. But I can't. I can't even right now conceptualize what that looks like. Because we don't even know what his fully mature voice sounds like. We don't know what his baby voice sounds <laughs> like. <laughs> we, yeah, we don't know. Like, we have hints of what his personality might be like, but like ultimately we don't know him as a as a person and what he needs and how we can help him get there huh and is there a level of development you know barring full full stage independence that you would be like that's when i could leave <laughs> i think that i think that now that i've had him <laughs> and he's pooping. It's hard for. It would be really hard for me to leave. No matter what. It's just a very different thing. Huh. <laughs> so you want to have a positive effect? You want children to get out of the house, gain some independence, and to see the world? What else? I think I just felt like all of these things are very hard to measure like when they're when they're done but uh and this one has no no end um but just um kind of like the the being being positive change factor uh but just to continue learning and growing just to make that a continuous process instead of, oh, I'm, I'm done. 
and I, I, I think now that I've, I've learned that there, you're never done, no matter what, um, but just to continuously invest in that process and to, to be an active part of that process and realizing and appreciating it. Do you know, uh, is it in all aspects of that you want to continue learning and growing? Is it like... Yeah. Yeah, I think um, kind of the whole being a student of life, like that is everything. Mm -hmm. That is all things, um, including death. And so learning, learning to accept and to learning to just be, those are continuous processes. Do you see yourself being a student of medicine for your whole life? Yeah. I think, um, kind of, <laughs> like, like you talked about, um, previously, family medicine is so broad that there's always something to learn. And, um, I think the really lovely thing about family medicine is it incorporates, it incorporates everything. And so, with every new scientific discovery, with every new, um, medical discovery, we're developing a deeper understanding or a better understanding. And so just being able to learn, learn about those things, um, learn, learn about all different kinds of things, I'll be privileged to, to be required to do that. <laughs> do you think you'll continue... Uh, your practice as a physician until you can no longer, or do you uh, do you see like an endpoint for yourself? I think that <laughs> I think that that's one of the challenging things, is that uh, I want to be a very active parent uh, because I was really blessed to have parents that were really involved in my life and uh, who supported my endeavors. Though sometimes they were not very, uh, they were ill-conceived, uh, like playing basketball after I'd had two knee surgeries. <laughs> but um, I think uh, I would like to be very involved with my, like helping my children to achieve that they, the things that they want to achieve. Um, so whether that be driving them to whatever practice or whatever place that they need to be, or um, being a part of being a part of their support system, um, and I think it'd be really cool to figure out a way to do homeschooling kind of thing, um, which I think necessitates that I don't do a full-time kind of practice. And so ultimately I envision myself not necessarily having a full-time practice, or if I do have a full-time practice, having it be one where my family can be a part of it. So I think in terms of answer, like, when will my practice be done? Um, I think I'd like to practice at some capacity for a very long time. I don't know when or what exactly that looks like, but for a while. <laughs> Is there anything else you want before you die? I think greater connections with with my um, family at large, like my 
my blood relations and your family and um, friends and then broader community. Just deeper relationships. So and for me that looks like being more honest with them and myself and, and being intentional and reaching out. Communicating. Do you have any good models for that? I think that our relationship has been a good, um, I guess, playground for that and for what that might look like in some way or degree. I think that, um, I think uh, it, in some ways, um, Yeah, I think I think that there are different um, different people that uh, media wise we can we consume that um, exhibit that that kind of openness that kind of lends itself to to connectedness. Um, so I think uh, I think yeah that there are there are some good models. I think I think I. I don't know if uh, I had one prior to that, though, a good model, mm -hmm. prior to kind of getting out of the house and, and uh, forming these deeper relationships of my own. That's fair. Is there anything else that you want? I don't think so. Break? I think we're okay for right now, if you want to keep going. Okay. <laughs> You should see her face. <laughs> Sorry. She does weird stuff. She's real weird. No, very weird. floppy. Right. Right. <laughs> How do you finish the next prompt? When I die, I want. Ideally, when I die, I, I'm going to add that little asterisk. Ideally, when I die, I want a moment to accept what is happening. I think, uh, I think a lot of people at their moment of passing aren't, aren't allowed or haven't prepared for that. And I think that um, I think that we're doing kind of in, through these conversations and through our line of work, uh, um, working in the medical field, do a lot of work uh, with death and with the dying to help you realize your own mortality. So I think I kind of have a leg up on, on in terms of at least beginning to prepare. But uh, I hope that I have a moment to accept. Um, like you like you mentioned, we've like this this interview is at a very different point than when we interviewed you first year, where we were doing a lot of book studying, not a lot of like talking to people before they're dying, you know. And uh, you've had a, a rotation in the ICU. Mm -hmm. You've been a lot closer and seen it much more. You've been able to smell it. Um, what have you learned from that, and how does that affect your answer about wanting to be able to have that moment of coming to terms with it?
um, there are a couple of patients that I'm thinking of um, when when we talk about this, and uh, for both of them, they and their families had unclear values about death and dying, and I think that. Uh, clarifying and solidifying those values um, is extremely important. Um, and even for us, when probably when I was about six months pregnant, we had the discussion of what we would do for end of life care for both of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we still need to write that all down. Mm-hmm. Still need living wills. Still need living wills. We know we need to do it, but we don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> because even that conversation in and of itself was really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the the mortality that you associate with pregnancy and the mortality that you see working in the hospital um, are both really challenging. And, and then I think the other thing I, that I think of is even just interactions with patients where it's kind of the, uh, it is the, the, it is the stereotypical test question red flag patient that comes in that is showing all the signs of colorectal cancer or the patient in end stage heart failure. And not having the lens that we look at life through now, this medical lens, they don't even recognize that their physical body is is failing them. Um, and so I think that having having this lens to, to look at life through and having the experiences that we've had, um, I've had, uh, it just really, really makes it important to, to be aware of death and to want to accept it. Uh, have there been any positive models uh, for this moment of acceptance that you were aware of? Because it sounds like it's mostly been like, but the absence of it makes it you recognize how important it is. Yeah. One of the ones that really sticks with me that I remember, um, I was in, I think I was early on in high school. Um, my great-grandmother, my nanny, is what we called her, uh, was in an assisted living home near where my mom worked. And so during the summers especially, when I was first learning how to drive, I'd drive to visit my mom just so that I could, you know, drive a car and uh, see her and get her lunch or go to lunch with her. And um, I remember this was at the, the end of my nanny's life, the very end. And I remember she had such a strong will to live and just didn't want to go. And I remember my mom sobbing and holding her and saying, it's okay, you can leave. It's okay, we're all okay. And I think that that's one of the most poignant moments of with death and dying that I've had personally. And, uh... I don't know if I've seen, 
I don't know if I've seen a graceful moment of passing. And so, um, I'll be really, it'll be very interesting going forward because I know that I'll have plenty of opportunities to be a part of that experience for people and um, to experience it myself. Since the previous interview, there have been a few deaths in your family. And, um, like we said, we've seen and known other patients that have died. Um, um, what are some of the experiences that have stuck with you and that have been uh, really transformative in, in your perceptions and perspective on death? And birth can count, too. Oh. Uh, and I think that, like most of life, death is such an intensely personal thing that I I can say what my values for death or dying are, but I couldn't at all translate those to somebody else's experience or life. Um, for me, uh, some of the challenges, so... Um, all of my my maternal grandparents, my nana and papa, um, and my my paternal grandfather died uh, before I was born. But my paternal grandmother uh, also died during during medical school, uh, and I was estranged from her. And so that experience was challenging in different ways than my uh, nana and papa's death, and they had been very, very active in my young childhood and in my rearing um, and in, in my, my experience of, of life as a young child. Um, we, lived, we lived in a cabin that was connected to their house for, from the time that I was uh, probably three until six years old and so they were, they were a very large part of, of my life in that that time period, um, and I have many fond memories and many silly stories of, of growing up there. Um, but I think that from their passage, uh, I learned um, I learned just kind of about how I I want proximity with my family, and I think that that's an important thing, especially during the dying process, is to be a part of that and a part of that passage. Um, and that's that's also a very selfish thing. Mm -hmm. um, but that that helps with the processing and the acceptance portion. Um, I think... Uh, and openness and an honesty is really important, uh, both with yourself and, and with those whom you want, you value and cherish. I think that that is, that's very important. Um, uh, 
And um, I think in experience with uh, pregnancy and, and motherhood um, and bringing life into the world, it just it makes your connection to life much stronger. And so I can foresee that that uh, process of acceptance being far more difficult or challenging. Especially if it happens before that independence that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Do you know what you want that moment of death to feel like and look like? Um, I think the thing that I think of and uh, reading Mary Oliver's poems since her passage, mm -hmm. her own death. And then when I was growing up, I was a nerd, as you know. Mm -hmm. and big I, dork. Big dork alert. <laughs> I read a lot of, um, a lot of <laughs> classic works. And uh, a few of the things that I'm thinking of right now are... Um, uh, uh, Emily Dickinson and um, and then there's another gal named Dorothy Parker and um, there's a story by Jack London and a lot of a lot of kind of the romanticized thoughts that that they had of death was just this kind of slipping away or this this gentle kind of breeziness about death that is really a beautiful kind of thing that just the fleeting nature of life and then just kind of this this gentle passage into the the next the next phase or life or great beyond or what what have you um, so I think just kind of a, a easy slipping a little bit of time to accept and then just a movement beyond and do you have any uh, in the intervening three years since the interview, do you have any experiences that might inform you about what that would feel like and what would, like, what does that transition to death look like? I think, um, all the stories that you hear of, uh, the kind of, um, What's the word I'm thinking of for the phrase? Um, the, the um, near-death experiences, kind of that that the light and the voice and the the transition. Um, I think in terms of like uh, uh, um, like envisioning, I think that that I think that that's a very similar experience to what you one experiences going towards death. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, I would like I would like my death to be optimally at home and not in a or and at home in that kind of sense of um, being with the people I love or being in a place that I love and uh, not in a hospital and not necessarily in a trauma but th again those are those are things that you don't have any control over so I think I, I'd like a peaceful passing but 
I know that that's not guaranteed, so I just would like that moment of acceptance. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you want when you die? I think, um... I think not. Mackenzie, how do you finish the final prompt of After I Die, I Want? After I die, I want for, I think this is really similar to what I said last time, I want for those I love to have a level of um, comfort in, in their lives. I don't, I don't want my passing to, um, jeopardize their ability to, to live well and fully. Do you know, um, like, have there been examples of, like, someone not living afterwards that really stick with you, um, or being able to enjoy life after the death of somebody? I think the kind of um, quintessential thing that I'm thinking of is uh, individuals that kind of like pass uh, as a lack of will to live after someone dies, uh, kind of that heartbreak syndrome that, that you hear about somewhat jokingly but also somewhat seriously. Um, I think that uh, that's something that I have in mind, but I think um, even right now, in just a very physical sense, I'm thinking I don't want my passage to jeopardize June's ability to to achieve and, and become the human that, that he wants to become. And similarly for you, I wouldn't want my passage to be the end of fun. <laughs> and um, so I, I want... I want there to be a level of, of uh, comfort or, or well-being that, um, I, or I guess I'll put it in a different way. I don't want my death to strip away um, all of the, the well-being that those that I love have. That makes sense. And yeah, I think that is very in line with what you had said previously. Um, do you have any conception of the afterlife? I envision it as... How I literally envision it is melting away into just a galaxy of stars. Just being a part of, like, the colors of the wind in Pocahontas. <laughs> just, uh, being... Like, Oogway in... Oogway, oh, <laughs> yes, that is... <laughs> Can I change my answer about when I die? I want to be Ugwe and just join the. Un I I envision just joining the universe at large and um, being a part of everything and nothing and it being a very beautiful thing. 
Is there anything else you want after you die? humanity to get their shit together and figure stuff out. Um, but I don't, I don't know if in my heart of hearts I believe that that can or will happen. I would love for it to, but I don't, um, I don't know if it's going to happen. What would humanity figuring their shit out <laughs> look like? Um, treating each other better, treating the world around them better, uh, and whether that is through technological advancements or um, simply just a a better understanding that that. We're not very different from everything that's around us. We're all very similar in um, all of the life. You uh, alluded to um, wanting to know where your meat was from because it has these feelings and emotions. And uh, looking at Honey sitting <laughs> sitting near us, she since bringing June into our life, she's had these feelings of jealousy and of joy and of love and. Um, it's just acknowledging that all, all of the life around us is feeling sentient and that we should respect it thusly. Um, so I don't know if, again, and maybe it's, I hope that it's both of those things, just that acknowledgement and the advances to make, hopefully undo some of the damage that we've done and to prevent it from happening in the future, but I, I hope that those things can happen. You want uh, to make sure that your death doesn't preclude the happiness of those around you. You want to see humanity get their shit together. Uh, what else do you want after you die? I want to join that collective and I want to be with um, people that I love that have passed before me and I want to I want to feel them whole I think um, you've talked a lot about the damage that is done to us um, unwittingly kind of through that ancestral line uh, and how we all carry that within us and um, I'm thinking of the, the scars that people that I love bear because of what they've experienced in their lifetimes. And I would love to join them in the after, the after place, the afterlife, and just feel them healed and, and uh, be a part of something bigger with them. And so we have been, this has been a long day of interviewing each other. <laughs> I think we're both going to take a nap after this. Uh, all of us together, including Honey and June. 
Maybe June. Who knows? And oh gosh. And so with this moment before he gets mad, um, what do you have to say to uh, the audience, to June in the future, to uh, future Mackenzie uh, listening in before we do another re-interview? Um, the floor is yours. My tears, dry my nose a little. Um, life is an incredible opportunity. Just enjoy it, enjoy that opportunity, take it, and uh. Don't squander it. Love as much as you can. And learn as much as you can. Do as much as you can. Thank you very much, Mackenzie Kim. <laughs> Notice you changed my last name. <laughs> Today is um, 2016, February 3rd. I'm interviewing uh, Mackenzie Frost. I'm going to be asking her the four questions, and we'll get started now. Um, so, Mackenzie, uh, would you finish the prompt of I am dot dot dot? I am me. Oh. I'm a person. Mm -hmm. I'm living on this planet. I am pursuing my goal of becoming a doctor. I'm really reveling in life right now. I'm enjoying, I think I'm enjoying more than I ever have, which is strange because I feel like I'm also simultaneously under more stress than I've ever been. <laughs> I am This, this prompt is kind of hard because it's, I don't know if you're asking what, like, my characteristics or what... It's, every, it's a Rorschach test. It's everything. It's, yeah. it's how, oh. how, do you, how do you approach the blank page of how I am dot dot dot. So what does it mean to you to be pursuing a medical degree? Simultaneously fulfilling what I've set out for, goals that I've set out for myself, but also I think really fulfilling a duty to other people. And it's strange to phrase it like that because it's a service to others, but it's also very selfish in that helping others or serving others or whatever is something that makes me happy. So it's very dual purpose in that I find fulfillment 
yes, it's helping others, but it also helps me feel like I'm, I'm doing the right thing, that I'm fulfilling my purpose. Mm-hmm. So. And what is that purpose? Do you know what that is right now? I think that probably the greatest thing is, I don't remember if it, we talked about it or if I read it, but the greatest thing you can be is of service to others, is to really help others better their lives and better live their lives. So get get a little bit more granular. What does that What does that mean? Like, how do you how do you do that? How do you conduct service now? And how will being a medical professional help you conduct that in the future? Um, I'm a very physical person, so I like being able to see someone face to face. I like being able to literally either in regards to medicine, I would literally be able to help heal them. I would literally be able to help see potentially their quality of life improving because an aspect of their health is improving. But it's not just that. It's also helping others just by giving love or giving an ear or giving giving food or giving... It's just giving little pieces of, of yourself help them enjoy and be just it, it, it so it encapsulates quality of life it encapsulates their physical being it encapsulates their spirit it, it really it's just serving others is somehow improving the health of those aspects of another human being to me so that sounds like you don't have to wait you don't have to wait just to get the medical degree no, in order to you be do a it all the time that's a, that's a nice little definition of service I like it Thank you. What else are you? What I am dot dot dot. Um, I think I'm strong. What does strength mean to you? That's tricky because it's changed. Um, strength is, uh, strength is, to me, there are different kinds of strength. There's different kinds of everything. But, um, so... There's physical strength, and I am relatively strong in that regard, but there's um, emotional or psychological, psycho-emotional strength. Um, And I think that I'm relatively strong in that regard as well. It's just, I think it's the ability to persevere beyond potentially what you think you're capable of or what, um, this is the competitiveness in me coming out, or, or what others might be capable of. And I think everybody is far more capable than they think. How did you develop this strength? Life. How? Um. How did life give you that strength? Or how did, how did life give you the stimulus to become strong? I think part of it genuinely is, was my upbringing. Um, both of my parents strong people physically and um, psycho-emotionally and so I had very good examples Um, but I think that in 
everybody has trials and tribulations and um, how how they handle it just kind of uh, it's going to vary from person to person and attest to their strength or or not and, and then and that isn't to say because I know that there have been points in my life where I've, I have not been strong but I think that overall I have does that make sense? So is strength a, a characteristic or a practice? Both. I think that, it, like anything, someone might have predispositions to things, but you don't get good at anything, or you aren't fully capable of wielding it or using it unless you practice it. Let's say somebody feels like they are not strong. How do they develop that strength? Other than life. <laughs> That's hard. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it would be... Unless they're extremely cerebral and they can think their way through these things, I think that it would be very difficult to develop a practical form of strength like that. Like, no, there's no curriculum of strength. Is that what you mean? Physical, physical strength is one thing. Like, if you were to talk about that, that would be, yes, there's, there are routines you can follow to develop physical strength. I think that psycho-emotional strength, you can develop it, but by and large, it's going to be through life experience, especially, um, what, what are you doing? Gadsden, a little cat, that is Mackenzie's cat, is walking on by. We're just uh, looking at her cute butthole. She wants <laughs> scotch or tea. We're not yeah, sure. Does. But um, I think that it's it's hard to say. I mean, from where I can see right now, I don't see a more practical. She's giving me kisses. Mm -hmm. I don't see a more practical way of developing that kind of. Strength. Have you heard the term grit used in education? Yes. In the context of it, would you say, what is the similarities or differences between your definition of psycho-emotional strength versus the educational sort of context of grit? I think that they would be minimal. I, they would probably even be synonymous. Okay. Just clarify. What else are you, in addition to being strong and pursuing your medical degree? Um... And a person who's got that part. I'm also, though, um, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, um, companion person. I'm, I don't know, I'm me. I don't know how to explain If that. I were to wake you up in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m. before the sun's rising and no one else is awake and I shake you. I'm like, what are you? What would your answer, what would you, the first thing out of your mouth do you think would be? Probably my name. You are, Mac I am Mackenzie. I'm Mackenzie. So you're Mackenzie. Yeah. Right. So the second question in the, in the, neck, in the sequence of four mm -hmm. is when I die, before I die, I want dot, dot, dot. How do you complete that sentence? To fulfill my purpose of helping others, maybe serving others. How do you see yourself doing that? 
I see myself doing that through medicine primarily, um, but also I I love the people that I love and I love the people in my life and I'd like to be able to um, continue to give them my love and support, um, but on a wider scale, I can see myself practicing in an underserved area. Um, that's something that I'm interested in and I also can see myself um, I would really like to try to act as a mentor to people that otherwise would not pursue um, careers in sciences or, or anything. Um, like in the STEM field overall? Yeah, absolutely. And is that, would that be specific to, say, socioeconomic <clears throat> status or race or gender? Or is it, it anybody who just... But, um, it, to me, it, it wouldn't be specific, it would just be an, an opportunity and I want to be able to present it to people who otherwise would not. So, I, I mean, if you're going to look at it that way, probably socioeconomic and it would depend on where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And and since that is broken up, unfortunately, very frequently along gender lines, along race lines, mm -hmm. potentially I would be serving one type of person more than another. Um, but in general, I just want to help people who would not otherwise get that kind of support or that initiative or some the, the potential to see something that they otherwise might not be exposed to. So very unlikely to see you in a Hollywood dermatology clinic. <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> have you uh, considered or uh, have you considered or looked into or what are your thoughts on um, the whole the whole process of of sort of signing on to practice within a underserved area um, in order to offset some of the medical education costs. I've um, thought about it. I've really oscillated between what kind of specialty I want to go into though. Mm -hmm. And with that um, program, you have to be family practices. I understand. Mm -hmm. um, and I've. I've, I was very interested in family practice initially, and I'm getting more interested again. Just, I think as I develop, um, as I develop greater emotional strength, and the ability to um, protect myself emotionally while simultaneously investing in others. Um, so I don't know. It's something that I'm interested in, but I'm not. Nailed down or settled. It would have been a big decision to make before you sort of knew what you were getting into as oh, well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's an interesting point you bring up about being, about developing the ability to give without overgiving. Mm -hmm. um, it's especially within, I mean, coming from like the pre-med world to med school to clinic to residency and beyond, it's, um, this is a level of, of consequence and um, intensity that we haven't, I don't think very many people have ever um, experienced. And how do you approach that practice? How do you approach the development of, of that ability to do that? What are you doing now to help uh, to fulfill that? That's a good question because I don't think that I'm actively doing anything. I think that I'm being at this stage more aware of um, what I'm doing and what I'm feeling 
Um, and I'm trying to be more adaptive and let things flow. Sounds very fair. So before you die, what else do you want? Um, I, I want to see more of the world. I, I want a person that I, is my person. I want potentially a family, but I'm not sold on that either. I want, I want, I don't know, I want to live. What kind of travel appeals to you? Are you a, a boat? Are you a train? How do you like to see the world? Through what window? I actually, um, I would have loved to have done a train. That would have been awesome. The train system here just is not as good as it could be. Um, but that'd be great. I like I like driving, but I don't like driving other people. Hmm. It feels like too much responsibility. Like I I enjoy road trips and I enjoy being with people, but it at the same time stresses me out. It's another bladder you have to worry about. It is. <laughs> it is another bladder. Damn them. Mm -hmm. Always full. But um, I like that kind of being in touch with the ground and seeing. I've done a little bit of boat travel, but not enough to know whether I like it or not. What kind of boat? It was a big-ass cruise ship. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then we I've been out on, like, fishing scooter once. And we did a bit of, like, we did a lot of fishing when I was a kid, but that those, like, aren't ways to really traverse the world. And uh, what was the longest train ride you've gone on? Not long. Not long. Um, it was just in California, so it wasn't... And I, actually, I did more of, act, like, Greyhound buses in California than I did trains. And that is not something I'm very... Buses get the job done. They're not that awesome. No. They'll get your body there. I, um, speaking of train travel within the U.S., I've, um, rode, ridden from the Amtrak from Jacksonville down to Miami, and that was like a 10-hour drive, 10-hour ride, and it was, because it was like, I, I'd rather, I'd rather take the train, see that it's something about being that close to the ground and not having to worry about traffic or having to worry about anything, and like having your, I, I got my own little compartment too, so I was like in my own little zone, so it was sort of like a little telephone booth that kind of was there for 10 hours and that was just mine and so I got to read it was that sounds beautiful it's awesome and then I also drove rode in a train um in Egypt an overnight train um along the Nile and that was pretty cool that sounds beautiful but uh, I mean I didn't see a whole lot during the night because it was like dark mm -hmm. out but <laughs> it was pretty cool I like I like train travel I think it'd be a cool thing to do especially like the Trans-Siberian train oh, that'd yes. be that'd be something there's else. one that goes from um it goes through the northern U.S. and it's actually it's more expensive than a um, train, like a plane flight, mm -hmm. but it looks so incredible. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to do it on the way over here, but it was just 
It was right before loans were dispersed. <laughs> <laughs> right at the end of where my money was. Uh, unfortunate timing. Yes. Well, I'm sure another window will pop up for that train ride. I'm sure. Are there any destinations that you have in mind? In the U.S. or in the world? Hey, you're, you're, it's your answer. It's my answer. Um, anywhere. I'm really not picky. Mm, English speaking, somewhere where it's totally alien, like somewhere in India, some like how how foreign, how weird are you willing to get? I'm willing to get pretty fucking weird. <laughs> Good answer. Solid answer. What <laughs> what else do you want before you die? Hmm. That just popped into my mind was like a six pack of abs, but I'm not I, like I gave up on that idea when I was in high school. Um, I want hmm. I want contentedness. How would you get contentedness before you die? Kind of abiding by the life that I've set before myself, I guess, by being a good person. So it's sort of something that you'll be able to look back on and know that it's been there? Or is it something that you'll know it's, you'll know you've achieved it when you've achieved it? I think both. I'm trying to be really good about being grateful for things as they happen, even if they seem really shitty. Because everything is just a little, a little lesson in life. And so contentedness is, I don't know, it can be fleeting, but it can also just be looking back, kind of. So to answer your question, it would be both. It can be in the moment, and it would be looking back also. Fair enough. When you die, what do you want? Hmm. Or who? Or how? Or any of the who, what, where, when, why questions. <laughs> um... Well, like, with my physical body, I think I want to be cremated. I don't really care what happens with my ashes. You can spread them out wherever, wherever you want or put them in a green bag or just the body. Which is strange because I'm going to totally digress right now. It's really strange because in Cadaver Lab, it's surreal certain parts of the body and it's, it's, there's such a reverence with it. But I really don't, I guess I don't care what happens to mine. Mm. Because it doesn't seem, it's, it's so important, it's, it's the vessel for my being, but it just doesn't seem important what happens to it afterwards. Why cremation? I can't see myself as being buried. I don't know why. I feel like, first, I think it's a very 
primeval practice. I don't think it's very practical anymore. Um, but also just ashes to ashes. It's such a poignant phrase. Just, I don't know. There are some, um, there's a new movement out there called the Green Burial Movement. Have you heard of it? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a very interesting, very interesting idea of how, you know, pumping people full, pumping dead bodies full of formaldehyde is not really good for the people pumping them full of formaldehyde, and it's not really good for the environment in which it has to absorb and detoxify the formaldehyde and whatever else you stick that body with and whatever was in that body before it died so it's something to consider um but it also there are is the are the only options burial or cremation no i mean there there are plethora of options if you look <laughs> at the worldwide practices of how peoples handle their dead but i don't I kind of settled in my mind on cremation just a long time ago. Yeah. Ashes to ashes stuck with you? No, I just... That popped into my mind now. No, yeah. it was just something that I... I don't know. Feels right? I mean, I, I really appreciate the idea of green burial, and I think that as far as I understand, there are ways to incorporate cremation the remains of cremation into those kind of practices. And that's kind of something I can see myself doing, but I just, I don't know. I think that cremation is practical and that's a strange way to look at how your body's handled, but. Mm -hmm. What else do you want? When I die, I want dot, dot, dot. <laughs> um. Hmm. I want... I don't want people to be all sad and shit. <laughs> I want them... I, I want them... You know what? That's not even fair. I want them to be able to feel what they want to feel. If they want to be sad, they can be sad. If they want to be happy, they can be happy. I don't... I don't want to have any kind of pressures on on anything surrounding my death. Not, I just don't. It's not that I don't dread the planning portion or anything like that. Like I don't. I genuinely. I can very much. I've been so bad at planning lately, but I really don't mind it in general. I really don't. I can even enjoy it. It's just, I don't, I don't feel right imposing any kind of rigorous ceremony surrounding my life and death. Who am I to say? Like, they, they can remember me how they want to remember me. I have no dictation over that. So, would you want your family to conduct the wake and funeral according to their wishes? Yeah. You, would you want a say in how it's conducted, or would you be? Are you still very laissez-faire? Like I don't want it to be expensive. Like I don't want like I'm fuck. 
like, I guess if they have the money for it, like, whatever, you do you, boo. But <laughs> in general, I just, it's, it's not for me, it's for them. Mm-hmm. So what say do I have in it? It's their, it's their sending off, it's their goodbye. If they don't want to do anything, I probably fucked up somewhere along the lines. <laughs> but if they want to do something, that's their prerogative. I don't... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Can you imagine any ways that you would want to help people that loved you grieve and mourn your passing? I think I'd want them to be with me on the journey towards death so that we could all be on the same page and we could grieve at the same time. I think I would want it to be a very open discussion, a very open thing that I was leaving. So that when it happened, it was just something that happens. It's just a part of life. It's a good answer. When you die, what do you want? What do you mean? What else do you want? What else? Um. Hmm. I prefer to be relatively peaceful, but if it isn't, I don't have much to say. I just, I don't know, I'm just kind of, I'm very laissez-faire towards death as well. <laughs> we, uh, there's a story by Jack London, I don't remember the title, it might be Last Match. It's about a man who freezes to death in the Yukon. He writes another story, and I, that one's called Martin Eden, about a man who drowns himself. I think that on the, like the order of natural catastrophe deaths, <laughs> I have very, like, freezing to death would be pretty high on the list. What do you mean by high on the list? By, like, if I had to choose a way to end my life for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I think freezing to death would probably be it. Because violent means are just, they're very traumatic. They're very traumatic for the people that are left behind. And violent means a gun, a hanging, um, pills, like, that's all pretty shitty. What does freezing to death entail? Well, I think that there's an initial panic when your body just reflexively is trying to survive. And then, from what I understand, from, and from people who've had um, pretty severe hypothermia and those accounts, there's just a great sense of peace sets in and a warmth. And then you fall asleep, and you don't wake up. 
And that calls to you? Yeah. After you die, what do you want? Mmm, this is a hard question. This is very hard. It's my favorite one. This is one that I've struggled with. Personally, so I won't answer that first. I'll answer the easy <laughs> part first. I want the people that I've left behind to live well. I want them to be happy and lead really fulfilling lives. That's, I think, what I want more than anything. For me, what do I want? This is something that I've struggled with <laughs> for some like I can't really blame my upbringing, I guess. I bought into it. I don't know if I believe in an afterlife or if I believe in nothing. And I feel right now, where at the stage of my life I'm at right now, I feel very okay with either. I don't, I don't know if I've done enough to be really like considered like a good person, but I've made the choices that I've made, and so it really doesn't matter what happens. What was, you mentioned you sort of bought into it growing up. What was your religious or spiritual upbringing like? Um, pretty Christian. Um, I was baptized in the Church of Latter-day Saints, which is more commonly known as Mormonism. And though we weren't every Sunday attending, um, my mom was pretty devout. And she has a very strong sense of faith, and so she and I have a she and I have a really pretty strong connection um, on a personal level, and so I think that really impressed itself on me. And I'm I'm a pretty I'm a spiritual person as well, and so the appeal of um, a greater communion or a sense of connectivity to the universe at large and at that point in time God was the pinnacle of the universe he was the, the source of creation and so that really appealed to me and stuck with me and the um, the moral system that accompanies that is unfortunate but I understand where it's coming from. I mean, so I look at I look at the the commandments that um, Christianity follows and that other religions follow, and you can actually, if you look at them, if you look at them from a public health perspective, <laughs> mm -hmm. they're very good. <laughs> Legitimately, don't mm -hmm. go fuck everybody. Don't drink alcohol. Don't smoke tobacco. Like those are all like, okay, yeah, that lowers your public <laughs> health risk. By many quantities. <laughs> so really, God's God's commandments to people were live full, healthy lives, be good to each other, help each other. 
like don't be fucking assholes to yourself or other people's. <laughs> I really and when I finally realized that, I was like, wow, that okay, well that makes that makes sense, but I don't know. It's something that I struggle with. Earlier you mentioned that you don't you're not quite sure if you've done enough to be a good person. What do you mean by that? I just don't know. Can you think of a person who has done enough good and could be considered a good person? I mean, I'm surrounded by them. It's a very interesting, that's a very interesting answer. Because is it, is that judgment, it seems that, from, from, from what you've just said, it sounds like you have judged others worthy and yourself unworthy. Is that accurate? you put it that way very very stark black and white yes <laughs> it's a very tough thing judgment mm-hmm. we're very very rarely um, erring on the side of giving us the benefit giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt After you die, what do you want? I'd like to leave behind a slightly better place. <laughs> I'd like to leave behind a really better place, but being realistic, slightly better is probably more accurate. And when you say leave behind, do you mean that you have made it a better place or that the place has become better while you were there? Oh, both. Oh, both, definitely. (laughs) I hope that it gets better without my help, but I also want to be able to help it get better. What does a better world look like? Oof. (laughs) Oof. How much time do you have? Um... That's really hard to answer because it just encapsulates so much. Uh, Briefly, it looks like just a more happy, healthy place. And healthy, I keep using the word healthy. So healthy in terms of physical, I think I said it earlier, physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological, social, cultural, it's very inclusive to me, in a holistic term. Mm-hmm. Just a better place. Hmm. Is there anything 
that you want to say in conclusion? I'll give you the last, last few words. Probably just that life is just such a great teacher and it's so really wonderful that there are people inspired enough to understand it and to understand others' perspectives of it. So thank you. Thank you for your time. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I enjoyed myself. This is uh this is round one. This is uh I think this was a success. Thank you very much. <laughs>